A suspect, a Caucasian woman in her mid-twenties, claimed she was covering for the other surgeon girl. Fetish nurse. Thank you. Witnesses? One. The receptionist signed her in as a temp. Okay, great. Well, let's get this EFIT image over to Berlin and get her identified. Why are you all being weird? She gave her name at the desk. Okay. She said her name was Eve Pilastri. It's the big show with all the B's and the S's. It's TV's BBS. And I'm Sasha Bates. And this is Shrink the Box. It's the antithesis of BS. We select characters we're all obsessed with from telly and discover their truth. You know the rules. We put them into therapy, find out why they behave the way they do. And usually, we learn a lot about ourselves along the way. I mean, I know I do. Sasha, tell us about a clip from the top. That was um, the amazing Fiona Shaw playing Carolyn Martins, talking to the secret MI6 team that she set up, Kenny, Eleanor and Eve. The mystery assassin they've been tracking has just killed again, and she did so using Eve's own name. So they know she's onto them just as they are onto her. It's all very cat and mouse and mm. back to cat again. And it is, of course, killing Eve. And I'm, I'm so excited to have had something brand new to watch. I don't know why I didn't watch it first time around, but I just didn't. I mean, you miss a lot of stuff, don't you? There's just too much telly. So thank you to all the listeners who wanted Eve on the couch. It was great to watch something new. And I can tell you, I very, very much enjoyed it. It was sort of darker than I imagined it might be. It was funnier than I thought it would be. The cat and mouse thing worked for me because it sort of doubled as a will they, won't they thing. Because I thought, wait a minute, is this... Is this a gay love story or is it like a, a thriller? Like I wasn't sure what was going on. And, and that kept me on the edge of my seat right up until the final scenes of the final episode of, of, of series one. It's kept ambiguous throughout who is Hunter and who is hunted. And there's this extraordinary chemistry and tension and it's partly erotic and it's partly destructive. Um, and that's why I like it. I mean, I think it's really psychologically interesting. Not so much because of Villanelle, who is a sort of slightly straightforward psychopath, really, with without sort of compassion or, or empathy, but more about the effect that she has on Eve and how she really sort of screws with, with Eve's internal world. Yeah, and I just love that it's two amazing, strong female protagonists Big who are time. funny and smart. It makes smart it really unusual. Mm. So coming up on this show, we're going to be looking at who really wants to kill Eve. Because it might not be who you think it is. We're going to look at erotic suitcases. We've all had one of those. Uh, sexual fluidity. And why the chase itself can be so thrilling. Obviously, there's going to be adult language in this one, adult content, and unashamed plot spoilation all right you know the deal welcome to shrink the box for all of those of you who have never seen killing eve or maybe those who haven't seen it since it came out here's a quick breakdown of where we're at season one we've got eve palastri Right? She's played by Sandra O. Oh. She's bored with her role at MI5. She's basically a protection dude, you know? She gets fired alongside her colleague, Bill, maybe my favourite character in those early episodes, partly because they called their boss a dick swap, which is, you know, it's fair. Eve's interest in female assassins, though, is spotted by the big boss, Caroline Martins, played by Fiona Shaw. And she asks Eve to head up this kind of secret 
off the books MI6 investigation team and they're um, running this uh, investigation into an international assassin called Villanelle who's played by Jodie Comer and when Eve's path crosses Villanelle's very early on they begin this all-consuming mutual obsession with each other right so we're going to kick off with Eve Sash imagine there's a woman in your waiting room she looks really uncomfortable. She's wearing an incredibly expensive, perfectly fitting dress. And her hair is soaking wet for some reason. It's Eve Palastri. Mm, yes, the dress and the hair. I mean, they show how, how much Eve's life gets transformed. But we'll come on to those later. For, for now, what we know of Eve is she was born in England, raised in Connecticut and is of Korean heritage. She's married to Nico. And it seems that marriage is happy and loving, possibly a bit overly comfortable and predictable. She's got a degree in criminal psychology. She's long been fascinated by female serial killers. And that leads to her inclusion on this team that just happens to be tracking female serial killer Villanelle, who pretty much throws a grenade into the sedate life that even Nico have been living. Mm, and Nico is, hmm, I don't want to say long suffering, but he definitely gets that. In their dynamic, it's it's his wife who has the sort of unscheduled kind of crazy mm. life. And he's very, very okay with that. And he, he deeply loves her, but also can feel himself becoming more and more sidelined. Uh, here's a clip of the two of them in bed together. Do you want to have sex? Sure. You know, someone is lying about the CCTV. Bill? No. What did he say about the recording? I didn't tell him. I need to get more, and I need her consent to record her. How bad have you been? Really bad. You're in the wrong department. Yes. You should have been a spy. Exactly, thank you. Mm. Sorry, sex. I'm actually knackered. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> and the light goes off. That was Eve, Sandra O, oh, and Nico, played by Owen McDonnell, from season one, episode one, uh, entitled Nice Face, uh, Killing Eve. It's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, based on the Villanelle novels by Luke Jennings. Uh, directed by Harry Bradbeer for Sid Gentle Films, Endeavour Content and BBC America. We'll have the full credits, as always, uh, for the rest of the clips at the end of this episode. Sasha, let's get into it with Eve. What's the first thing you think you'd notice? Well, yeah, I mean, you can hear in that clip that she's in a happy marriage. They're very comfortable with each other, possibly a little bit too comfortable. So at first she seems pretty normal, just kind of well-adjusted. She's got good relationships with her. The people that work for her, Eleanor really likes her, her employee, and Bill, her boss, also really likes her. So she can kind of like connect with people above her and below her. And she's got this loving husband. So all seems pretty well-adjusted and happy. 
But when Villanelle arrives, we kind of see that actually there's possibly something that has been missing. The only clue we get to her early life is when she tells Carolyn, um, I married my father. Um, and that's, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, and that's quite interesting because that tells us quite a lot. If Nico, who we see is solid and dependable and sort of the homemaker and safe, her father must have been as well. And I mean, I've talked a little bit in previous episodes about attachment styles. Eve is showing that she's securely attached. Clearly, her dad was loving and dependable and enabled her to have these good relationships. And that's who she's married, which is great because the more solid and secure we are, the more stable the foundation, the more that gives us the ability to go off and explore and, and spread our wings. But there's also something, this isn't a given, it's not doesn't mean when everyone who's securely attached <laughs> will also have unmet Time to second guess your marriages, guys, all <laughs> yeah. of you. But in Eve's case, there is something that is is missing that Nico isn't providing. And that's the sort of the opening that Villanelle mm. gets into. At the same time, this almost immediate attraction to this killer. Mm-hmm. I mean, where does that attraction come from? I think there's a lot in there that Villanelle um, provides um, Eve. I think there is an unmet need in her that her comfortable existence didn't show her. She was very happy in the sort of the comfort zone. And like you say, the, the being fired pushes her towards the edges. And I think she gets quite excited at the thought of seeing how much further she can go. And Villanelle is kind of like holding up a mirror to that of all the things that she could be. I mean, listen, I get that we all have that thing of like, maybe the grass is greener or what if I did this? You know, some of us might even go, what if I just threw a hand grenade into this life of mine? Because it's all, it's fine, but it's all just very, it feels very linear. This issue I can safely say I've never been tempted to do. Like, let me throw myself into a situation where there's every chance that someone's going to get murdered. Like, why would someone choose danger over safety like that? I think if you've never really kind of felt the excitement of the thrill of the chase or a a dangerous element in your life, it can feel really tantalising. So physiologically, there's a real similarity between the feelings of excitement and the feelings of fear. So when we are frightened and when we're kind of aroused and excited, there's a quickening of the breath, there's the heart rate goes up, the blood pressure goes up, all the kind of blood goes from our internal organs out into our limbs and there's a sort of vibrancy. You know, that all of that adrenaline makes you feel more alive, even like your vision and your hearing is a bit more heightened. So there's a real awakening. And I think what's really interesting is that at the beginning, Eve does look a bit washed out and a bit tired and a bit grey and a bit like a woman in her mid-40s. And and like she says with Nico there that, um, you know, I can't really be bothered to have sex. Mm. And it's all a bit kind of all, it's like there's no life force. And it's almost like this is what's going to enliven her. She's going to get that sense of fear, which feels physiologically like excitement. And the thing with the similarity in terms of our physical response to those two things, is it's 
often the interpretation or the meaning that we make of those feelings that turns it into either, oh my God, I'm really anxious because I I, I can't cope or, oh, I'm really kind of turned on and aroused and mm. I want to get on the roller coaster because I love that feeling or there's no way I'm going near that new I don't know, job offer because I can't bear the fear. So it's about what you can tolerate physiologically and whether you think oh, this is exciting and I want to pursue it or this is frightening and I don't want to pursue it. I think every human being teeters around those thoughts at some stage. Mm. And often it can be something that someone you love or a close friend is is going through, like they might experience it first. Mm. We see that with her and Bill, don't we? You remember mm. when Bill was like, because they're really close friends. Yeah. But she doesn't actually know anything about certain elements of his, key elements of his private life. Yeah. So she finds out that he was bisexual and he had like some wild nights mm. and, and whatnot. It's not just surprise and it's not just, oh, my friend's even cooler than I thought he was. <laughs> There's also a bit of like, God, what have I done? How many men have you been in love with? Hundreds. Does Kate go now? She's got her own thing going on. Wow. Bill. There's a sense of possibility about, um, oh, maybe I could try a different version of me. And I think that's what a lot of this is about. It's her exploring different versions of her that either she hasn't felt the lack of or she has been sort of dimly aware that that, that version of her hasn't been allowed out. Mm. I mean, there's that tension between safety and danger. And again, different people are going to play that edge, play that line differently. I mean, is that something that you recognise? Have you kind of... Definitely. I think every human being at some stage goes, I've been doing the same thing for a long time. Yeah. You know, mm. whatever that might be, whether it's professional or personal. Mm. And if you haven't, I just think, really? Yeah. Like, so you've just nailed it from, from when you... <laughs> from the, the very first moment you picked your GCSEs, you just knew, <laughs> like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And I wonder with Eve, how aware of all of that stuff is she? Because one of my favourite scenes in the whole series, I rewound it and watched it three times because it was so good. It's like the cold open of one of the early episodes, maybe episode three or four. And she's in sort of interrogation room and the camera is super tight on her and we're doing a really slow pan around her face. And Eve is describing Villanelle. She had... Very delicate features. Her eyes are sort of cat-like, wide, but alert. Her lips are full. She has a long neck, high cheekbones. Her skin is smooth and bright. She had a lost look in her eye that was both direct and also chilling. She's totally focused, yet almost entirely inaccessible. Uh, so is that like a square face or an oval face? I know, it's classic Phoebe so Waller-Bridge. Good. <laughs> so, so good, so <laughs> funny. And it's so brilliant because she describes her like... Shakespeare in love yeah. you know she yeah, describes like it yeah it's like a beautiful sonnet is that the moment does she know from then that this woman is getting deeply under her skin or has she always had an unhealthy fixation on 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 females who live their lives outside 
you know, the borders of what we might think is acceptable. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's both because she has always had this uh, fascination with female serial killers. I think that was what her PhD in was in or, you know, what she studied. But it's always remained very kind of intellectual. It's never actually. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a, a, a cognitive exercise. And now it's actually entering her life. Now it's like a full bodied kind of, OK, she's here in my world. So I think there's a sort of parallel process almost of a conscious knowledge that she's interested in this and then a a kind of unconscious oh what if that were my life or what if I yeah, had something Yeah, and it's not so much that. women that kill is it it's like for her it seems to be it's like women who do what they want Villanelle is powerful. She gives full reign to her aggression, to her sexuality, to her complete selfishness. I mean, that's why she's a psychopath, really. That's why I don't think she's as interesting a character because psychopaths, they don't form relationships. They just literally, it's all about what is going to serve me. Later, when we meet Anna, who was Villanelle's uh, former lover, and we learn that Villanelle killed Anna's husband and she actually thinks Anna would be happy that she's killed her husband because she doesn't understand. She she set the whole murder up like a present, like a gift. Yes, and she's there with like champagne and balloons. It's like he's gone. (laughs) She can't compute that actually Anna might be a bit upset that her husband has been murdered. So she doesn't really, she doesn't really have much going on in terms of, you know, ability to change or ability to empathise or ability to have compassion, which is why I find her less interesting. It's the effect she has on Eve. And is Eve conveniently brushing over the murders and the the psychopathic behaviour? No, I don't think she's brushing over it. I think that's part of the fascination is that how can somebody be so immune to their effect on other people, can be just so single-minded? So I think she's really interested that somebody can allow their violence, uh, their sexuality, their just absolute, I'm doing this for me and screw the rest of you. There is a moment where it, it felt like things became really sexually charged when a suitcase gets stolen, Eve's suitcase gets stolen by Villanelle. And when it comes back, it's got all these new clothes in it that Villanelle's bought for her. Mm. And there's this scene where she tries on one of these dresses. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, it seems like she's going to start masturbating Mm. at any moment. Yeah. It's the way she starts to touch her body over the dress. Yeah, I mean, I find the whole thing so fabulously kind of both literal and metaphorical because it's like there's the dissolving of barriers between that intellectual curiosity and that, oh, this is entering my home. It's almost like foreplay. It's like Villanelle provides her with perfume and a, a vision of the sort of person she could be. And it's like she's trying on the clothes for size to see whether can I be this other sexy, sultry, bisexual adventurer. It's like a and seduction she's, she's scene. she's checking herself out in the yeah, mirror as well. Yeah. 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 It, and I think mirrors play quite a large part in this, that sense of, do I recognise what's looking back at me? Is this a me that I can embody? It's so different from the washed out grey yeah. kind of coat and it, Is this what the person who lusts after me sees? Yeah. Like, yeah. why don't I see it myself and all of that? Yeah. <laughs> then, of course, there's a real climactic moment where they they properly meet villanelle breaks in mm. to her house yeah. and nico's not there yeah and she's got this designer dress on 
<laughs> so Villanelle knows straight away, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not repulsed. No. Clearly. No, there's a definite, I mean, there's a frisson throughout. Yeah. Um, there is like this sort of deepening levels of penetration. First she gets into her head, then the suitcase gets into the house and she's yes. in her, she's got her clothes on and then actually literally the pe- Villanelle penetrates her home. She's yeah. there in person. There's like so many erotic touches yeah. without erotic touching, yeah. like actual touching. Yeah. So, so when she sees that Villanelle is coming to the house, she hides, mm. Eve hides in the bath. Yeah. Uh, Villanelle barges in. Of course. And soaks Eve's head by turning the tap we know we cut to the kitchen Eve stood there soaking wet and Villanelle wants to have a romantic dinner yeah again it's that am I aroused sexually or am I terrified and Villanelle is just sort of cool and calm and collected throughout and she spots that Eve is like hiding a knife and she's like no it's okay you hang on to that if that makes you feel safer and then there's this weird dinner where um, they eat leftover shepherd's pie and Villanelle's (laughs) acting like this sort of old-fashioned man where she's kind of just like plowing in and uh, and yeah like no knife just the fork (laughs) in the right hand scooping it up yeah it's a bit like watching an episode of first dates yeah (laughs) Like, just, like, really awkward. <laughs> yeah, but Vill- Villanelle's in control in a way that Eve, and uh, again, the sort of the soaking wet dress and the wet hair and the sort of semi-naked kind of let's get you out of these wet clothes thing, it's all sort of playing with, is this terrifying or is it kind of seductive? So Villanelle actually undresses her and, mm. and now we're right on the edge. Yeah, I, I mean, she it is like she's stripping her back to, you know, this, you could be somebody else. Let's see what, what you could be. And, mm. and Eve's very vulnerable in, in that moment. I'm imagining from the scene that we've seen and heard in, in this episode of, of Eve and Nico in bed, that there's not a massive amount of that kind of yeah. electricity mm. in the air, the yeah. foreplay, you know, that feeling like when you're eating together, like this is just yeah. the prelude. There's yeah. definitely going to be amazing <laughs> sex later. Mm, and and no, Villanelle right not. now, despite the fact that she could murder anyone, including Eve, any moment... Right now, for Eve, this is providing that. You know, there's again, there's this sort of filmic trope where um, Villanelle kind of like pushes her up against the fridge and it's sort of, you kind of see that in so many things where this sort of masterful man kind of pushes the, yeah. the vulnerable woman up against the fridge. And she succumbs. And she succumbs. <laughs> and I, I think that's really interesting because it is showing her what she's been missing. It couldn't be more different to the boring married sex that she and Nico can't really be bothered to go through with. And she is turned on while being frightened. But that is not to say that being frightened isn't turn on for everybody because it's 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 not at all. But if there is something that's been lacking, it can be quite thrilling to play with that notion. For like that's why people sort of have sex games and play sort of, you know, dominant submissive yeah. games because it's a way of in a safe space allowing out the bit of you that you don't normally allow to come out to play, but you do it, you know, with safe words and you know, <laughs> in a, with with boundaries. So it's yeah. not the same as as actually wanting to be frightened during sex. It's a very different thing. You can play out in fantasy something that you absolutely don't want to happen in reality. So I think that's an important point to make that we're not saying that, oh, great, she she's really excited by this sort of frightening, frightening killer with a knife at her throat and that's making her want to have sex. It's not. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a fantasy. But also it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a, a male-female dynamic. I mean, we see anyway, this is two women, so it's not. But I was thinking about Don Draper 
who we covered in the Mad Men episode. Do go back and listen if you haven't had a chance yet. He has a very similar thing. He has a very boring, stable, uh, respectable wife at home in Betty. And he too is feeling the lack. And he goes off chasing kind of opinionated career women like Rachel Mm. and Midge. So again, I kind of can't stress enough. I'm not saying women want to have like masterful, (laughs) frightening sex. It's finding ways, whether you're a man or a woman, of allowing a bit of you that doesn't normally get an outing. Yeah, got it. All right. Well, that's. <laughs> I think that might be the uh, the most excitement we've had in the first half of a Shrink the Box episode. So coming up after the break, we're going to look at why pushing on cracked glass at a bus stop means more than just a cut hand and who it is actually trying to kill Eve and why. Um, plus, we're going to dig deeper into sexual fluidity and why the chase is just so endlessly attractive to us humans. So we're going to be back after some words from our sponsor, unless you're a subscriber to The Take, of course, the channel that is, in which case we'll be back faster than you can say Frischstück. This show is supported by BetterHelp. Uh, Now, sometimes you're carrying a weight on your shoulders, but you can't find the right way to open up about it and maybe offload a bit to others. If we keep things bottled up, it can really affect us in a bad way. And therapy is a safe and anonymous place to air whatever's been troubling you. And I know this personally. It always feels better just to speak your truth. Honestly, you genuinely feel lighter. And the moan can tell you all about feeling light or heavy. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash shrink the box. Hello, it's William and Jordan here from Help, I Sexted My Boss. And on Tuesday, our show at the London Palladium will be streamed live into cinemas. So if you want an evening full of laughs and outrageous problems and dilemmas, then come along and join us on the big screen. Help as Sex and My Boss Live is showing everywhere and everyone's welcome. Go to sexofmyboss.com slash cinema to get your tickets now. That's sexofmyboss.com slash cinema. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. All right, we're back in business. Now, the thing that I wondered throughout that season one, you know, we're talking about the grass is greener, alternate lifestyles. Do you think she would have come up against this problem anyway and done something about it without Villanelle being the trigger? A lot of people have those bits of themselves that do remain dormant and don't need to be explored. But I think Villanelle sort of pushing on an open door, really. I don't think we can answer that definitively. I think that there is a a need in Eve for excitement. 
I mean, if you contrast it with Nico, who similarly seems, you know, securely attached and capable of relationships and he he's happy um, being sort of safe and dependable. I mean, he doesn't seem to need that extra level of excitement. He's not thinking the grass is greener. And that could be because, I mean, again, I'm, this is complete speculation, but it shows that... Um, That's the show. Yes, it's, it's the show. <laughs> um, but also it shows that, you know, there's so many different permutations. So mm. Eve may well have had a very securely attached childhood which left her wanting more. Nico may have had a securely attached childhood, but with a parent who was perhaps unpredictable or always thrill-seeking. Maybe he'd had enough of that. Maybe he was fed up with not knowing if his parents were going to come home or being dragged off on foreign holidays that frightened him or something. So for him, all he wants is to be safe and dependable. And for, he doesn't necessarily think, oh, the grass is greener because he may have already experienced that yeah. in some way. And he enjoys it. We see little bits of proof of that. You remember where she's, I think it's the first time she's away, maybe when she's just joined the secret uh, MI6 outfit and she misses the evening that he's set up with mm, all their friends. Yeah. And they're having a great time. Yeah. We can see it. We can feel it on, on Zoom. And you get the sense in that moment, Nico loves those nights. Mm. And we see that flash in her eyes as well of like, fuck, I actually really love those mm. nights as yeah. well. But that's these are the stakes I'm playing with now. Yeah. Like, I might lose that yeah. forever. Yeah, she's really conflicted. She wants both. And, mm. and in, a, in a way, part of what, we, what therapy is about is can we somehow integrate those two polarities, that need for safety and danger? Can they exist in, in one life? For some people, it does feel like it has to be a choice. And for others, they can somehow allow their marriage to evolve or their life to evolve in a way that you don't have to have one or the other. You can somehow integrate the different bits of you, but you explore them in different ways. So maybe if Nico is never going to change, she could just make her, her job more exciting, but without the, the 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 scary villanelle element. Or I don't know, they go skydiving together or something. Whatever it is, it doesn't mean necessarily, oh, the marriage is over. Yeah. If she can find, get those needs met in a different way. There's a sense that once she's opened this door, mm. this portal, so to yeah. speak, to a new version of herself, there's no way of mm. closing it or going back yeah. through it. The dangers of that, where it can can take you, can you start telling yourself, well, this is the real me, mm. this dangerous me yeah. who throws grenades left, right and centre, this is the real me. I'm yeah. being true to myself now. That is a danger that people sort of, again, it's that polarisation of I'm either completely safe or I'm completely dangerous. But actually, I slightly push back against that notion of the real me because I think mm. we have several real yeah, me's. That we have like multiple selves and they're all real, but it's just which ones we allow to kind of take charge and which ones we want to suppress and whether they can each have an equal kind of role to, to play. Um, so she's definitely trying on for size a role that she hasn't been allowed to explore. Have we got to this place where the very boundaries of Eve's marriage are being tested, where we feel like the elastic band is being stretched mm -hmm. to the point of snapping? I mean, like, check, check out this clip. Damn it, I don't want to shout at you. You know, I think you should. What? Shout at me, come on. Why? To make you feel better? No, God, to make you feel yeah, better. It doesn't make me feel better. 
You, alive, at home, without scary ladies breaking into our house, makes me feel she better. She will keep breaking in, and she will keep hurting people until I catch her, OK? I have to find her. She wants me to find her. Jesus. It has to be me. Do you want me, me to hold up understand? your cape a little bit so you can go down on yourself a bit what? more? You're not saving the world, honey bunch. You're getting off and sniffing out a psycho. Oh. But you don't want that in your life. Trust me. It's okay. Um, let's just uh, get a curry. Now forget that happened and go home and apologize with tea. I can't. I have a work thing. So, Sash, how has it got to this? It's almost like she gives Nico the chance to change. It's almost like she's showing him, I need this marriage to evolve. It's almost like she's saying, I need you to be more passionate. And he says that you don't want that in your life. Trust me, which is actually another reason why it makes me wonder what sort of childhood he had. Like the trust me, you do not want excitement suggests to me that he's experienced excitement. That was quite a pointed line. It's that charge, it's that life force that she wants him to push back against rather than just endlessly saying oh okay let's go home and have a cup of tea and a curry. It's like no I don't want to go backwards, come with me mm. and he he doesn't so she's sort of on her own with this need to change. We're seeing a big shift. This is like one of those things where she's fast forwarded and gone like I'm I'm single now. Yeah, I think there's a scene that I really love because to me it feels like it sums up that moment. So it actually comes after a really horrible bit where she's seen her boss Frank, her other boss Frank, be castrated and murdered. So she's she's very traumatised as anyone would be. And she's sitting in a bus stop and the glass on the side of the bus stop has a crack in it and she kind of gets fascinated and she pushes on the crack in the glass and I think that's so metaphorical because it's almost like she could push on it and say oh that's a bit fragile I won't push any further or she can do what she does do which is she pushes it so hard that it shatters and it's almost like in that moment it's like no I don't want the boundaries I want to just shatter I want my life to be fragmented I want the freedom of being able to like fly out through the glass I mean I'm slightly torturing this metaphor No but, it, but I think she, you're 100% right and it even goes beyond on that because she could you know there's a frame and she she wants to reframe her yeah, position yeah. in life I think it's all there and mm. if you only take one of the various <laughs> metaphors <laughs> from there you, you still sort of get it I mm. mean it's a turning point yeah. right how much of it is conscious like how much of it do you think she's like okay new new day new mm. dawn new eve I, I don't think it's hugely conscious. Mm. I think she's acting on impulse. I think she's sort of very much led by her heightened sense of arousal here. She's sort of following that kind of adrenaline charge where the nervous system is more in control than the cognitive intellectual side. So I think she's being led by that new sense of possibility. In a way, a lot of people's version of pressing on that glass is to come into therapy. They've spotted that there's a, a cracked boundary yes. to their life and they want to know how much can I change? How much can I press on it? Whereas Eve is it was almost like you say, she's kind of left Nico behind. She's like, no, right, I'm going to smash this glass and go through it on my own. It's dangerous now, right? Yeah. Bearing that in mind, you know, we said at the top, like, who's killing Eve? <laughs> yeah. And people are thinking, well, what are you talking about? We, you know, there's a psychopathic mm. killer out there who's, mm. who's, you know, got every every chance of killing Eve. Very soon you realise, well, 
she doesn't necessarily want to kill Eve. No. So who's killing Eve? Yeah, well, I think this is also why it's so clever, because I think it does work on that unconscious level as well. We've got the, oh, Villanelle is trying to kill Eve. But I think we can also look at this as Eve's internal struggle between those different selves. She's got the the part of her that's been awakened that is like aggressive and reckless and wants adventure. Right. And she's got the bit of her that is possibly a bit more sexually fluid, that she might want to explore that side of her. She's got the tired, sad, bored, washed out, 40-something Eve. And it's almost like... Does she want to kill off those bits or does she want to kill off the new bits that she's frightened of? So which version of Eve is is she metaphorically killing within herself? And and she's in the process of it. Therefore, we're in the present tense. She is possibly killing Eve and also possibly putting her life in danger so she could literally be killing Eve here. Yeah. Well, yes, that's that as well. She's got to be um, careful. I think if you look at the the sort of the, the sexual side, I mean, she is a woman in her 40s mm. who, you know, it's in such recent memory that it's become more talked about sort of sexual fluidity and what people are allowed to explore. So for, for somebody of her age... Being able to admit to, you know, feelings of bisexuality or homosexuality might have felt really transgressive and she might still be sort of frightened of that bit of her. So is she wanting to kill the bit that's turned on by Villanelle Mm. or is she wanting to kill off the bit of her that is frightened of it and the the old boring bit of her? You almost see her transformed over the course of the series. She's so much more young and alive at the end of it. It's almost like she's feeding off Villanelle's energy. It's almost like vampiric in a way. It's like she's... She's yeah. taking on uh, Villanelle's characteristics, including her her youth and her lust and her energy and her life force. You're approaching middle age. Mm, yeah. It's flattering <laughs> to have this young, attractive person, rec- yeah. regardless of what their or your sexuality is. Absolutely. I mean, I would also even question whether she wants to have sex with her, because by the end, I mean, we're sort of leaping ahead a bit, but by the end, when it feels as though they're going to have sex, I don't know at that point whether... Eve genuinely wants to or whether she's learnt from Villanelle those skills of manipulation and deceit that she's able to pretend to Villanelle that that's what she wants in order to get close enough to stab her or whether she genuinely wants to have sex with her and that ambiguity the fact that we never know I really didn't know right at first I thought when she said I'm tired oh she's she's got a plan Mm. And then when Villanelle joins her on the bed and they're lying, both lying on the back, and then Villanelle turns to her for, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think she knows. just going to have sex. (laughs) Yeah. Villanelle would definitely have sex with her. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah. The the other way around, I think you're right. I don't think we'll ever know, but... um, Well, Villanelle owns her sexuality in a way that Eve doesn't. Yeah. And And it's, you know, kind of... That's part of the fascination, the erotic charge, is that she is so unashamedly, I want you. And Eve is a bit like, oh. I think the final scene or the close to final scene where there's a sort of reverse where Eve infiltrates Villanelle's apartment in the oh, same yeah. way that Villanelle yeah, course, yeah, went yeah. in it went into hers. And she's there on her own. And again, there's that sort of image of the mirror and the trying on the clothes and she's smashing up Villanelle's apartment. She's breaking champagne bottles. And when Villanelle comes back, she kind of screams at her, I've lost two jobs, a husband and a best friend because of you. And then in typical Phoebe Waller-Bridge style, <laughs> Villanelle says, yeah, but you got some really nice clothes out of it. Um, <laughs> but it is, you know, it's hilarious. But it's all also at what cost 
this attempt to be someone yeah. else. A question we sort of have to ask our clients, what are you prepared to lose in order to gain something that you were lacking? And that question is going to be different to everybody. You know, she's lost a lot. She's gained clothes, as in a new version, a new identity. Mm. But is it worth it? And again, why I think it's so clever is there's there's no resolution. She doesn't know how much is is worth it. And similarly, there's no resolution with can she kill her or not? She tries to, but Villanelle escapes. So again, is that internally, Eve, not knowing how much did I want to kill off these versions of myself? How much are they still, like Vin Villanelle, out there wreaking havoc? They're internally wreaking havoc because I still don't know. Do I want to go home to my safe husband? Do I want to pursue Villanelle yeah, further? Interesting that shrinking the head of Eve, <laughs> even after all, is not 100% certain that yeah. she wants this game yeah. to end. Which, again, I think is real life. I mean, I don't think we ever neatly resolve, I'm this person or I'm that person. It's like, no, I've got these different versions of me. They're going to carry on living inside me. It's how much am I going to let each one out? How much is tolerable? And how much do I want to suppress? And how much do I want to continue pursuing Villanelle and still go home to Nico. Yeah, you're right. Like leaving it open like that, it actually throws up a lot more interesting, complicated, real life uh, reflections than just like, oh, and now they're shagging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, it's that show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more clever than that. Yeah, it really is. What a show. Thanks, Sash. So our post bag is getting bulkier and bulkier and bulkier. Thank you for the love. Here we go. Dear Ben and Sasha. And my dad is a longtime film and TV fan. My mom is a psychotherapist. Same, Abby. Uh, naturally, I never thought I'd live in a world where their two interests would merge. But you made this miracle happen. And finally, your podcast is a place they can meet in their difference and find similarity. We're, sa we're saving marriages, Sash, now. <laughs> That's what we're doing. I am a trainee psychotherapist and huge film TV fan. Your podcast has given me a gift. Each week I sit down and listen to your latest analysis of who is on the couch, a process I find energizing, inspiring and calming all at once. Your passion ripples through each episode and it's a joy to hear you merging two of my great pleasures in a way I'd never thought I'd hear on a podcast. You are so appreciated. Love, Abby. Uh, P.S. On behalf of my dad, I'd recommend Patrick Jane from The Mentalist. <laughs> no explanation needed. That's wow. one lovely email. Um, and Marianne says, uh, Dear Couch Potatoes, absolutely loving the pod. A suggestion. Would you consider foreign language TV for analysis? Ooh, I yes. don't see why not. Absolutely. Being a native Dane, I might suggest Sarah Lund, The yeah. Killing. Oh, my God. Definitely. Yeah, I loved that show. Loved it. In fact, we've got a little crossover, haven't we, with Danish TV from today's episode. Because the guy who plays Constantine oh, yes. is actually Danish, isn't he? Yes. He's from that show, The Bridge. The Bridge. Yeah, his name is Kim Bodnia. Yeah. And I absolutely loved him in The Bridge. Yes, I did. Um, and in this, actually. Yeah, he's great in this. There's something about him. He's so funny. He is. Yeah, so uh, Sarah Lind, an obvious contender, definitely. But there's plenty to pick from, says uh, Marianne. Uh, Mel Venley Hewson. I think that means a friendly, high, warmest regards. Mm. Melvenly Hewson, mm. Marianne, thank you. And just to let you know, we do add all these names to our, our, our massive wall with the, with the push pins and pieces of string and, and creepy photos. So keep going. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be um, suggestions of, of people. It can just be 
your experience of this pod. I'd, I'd love to hear it. So that's shrink the box at something without the G else.com. Make sure you spread the word. Uh, the more people that uh, get involved, that listen to shrink the box, the more episodes we're going to do for you, man. I mean, that's the way it works. So follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast from. You'll get the new episodes there, I promise you. And if you want to listen ad-free, subscribe to Extra Takes, yeah? Because it gets you ad-free episodes of the show and ad-free episodes from Kermit and Mayo's Take, as well as access to all their subscriber-only stuff. And there's tons of that. So you can start a free trial, no press. Click Try Free at the top of the Shrink the Box show page on Apple Podcasts. Or if you prefer, go to extratakes.com on the old browser. Just left to thank our amazing production team who make this show sound so pro because trust me if it was just me and my uh, voice <laughs> notes on my phone it's not going to sound as, as lovely as it does so that's down to production management uh, Lily Hambly the assistant producer Bashak Erton uh, social media Jonathan Imieri studio engineer is Josh Gibbs and mix engineer is Gulliver Tickle the senior producer of course Selena Reem and the exec producer, Simon Paul. So, Sasha, I am primed and ready. Who are we digging into next week? I'm feeling like it's a departure, well, frankly. It, well, it is, because whether you're into this show or not, mm. we're going to look at two people who came out very differently, even though they had the same parents. Have a listen. Even when you were a kid and you were chubby and you had no friends, you were just fine. <laughs> And you would read alone in your room and your puzzles. <laughs> Look, there are people like Ross who need to shoot for the stars with his museum and his papers getting published. Other people are satisfied with staying where they are. I'm telling you, these are the people who never get cancer. <laughs> and I read about these women trying to have it all and I thank God our little harmonica doesn't seem to have that problem. I'm quite excited because this is this is a whole new challenge for us, right? Mm. 90s, canned laughter, Elliot Gould. It has to be Friends. It is Friends, the iconic series, a comedy with very broad strokes in terms of character. And it does yeah. sometimes tackle things a bit clumsily. But it did cover some really important issues. Suicide, same-sex marriage, infertility, adoption, surrogacy, single parenthood, all while appearing very middle of the road. Friends remains the most watched show on Netflix UK and the second most watched on Netflix US. OK, so here's the big question then. That famous six characters of those... Who are we picking? We are going to look at the two siblings, Monica and Ross. They are so different. And we're going to look at how they came to be so and how much the parents have influenced their, their characters. So Ross is definitely the golden boy, but has very low self-esteem when it comes to women. Monica is underestimated. And that's led to her having intrusive control issues. Wow, it's going to be like bloodline all over again, isn't it? <laughs> With a few more laughs. <laughs> of course, it's... Uh, it's all about these six friends sharing a flat in New York. But you can tell that it's it's shot in L.A. because nobody had apartments in New York that big. <laughs> yeah, it was it was all shot in uh, L.A. And, and not New York friends, um, which is, is probably how they got those 
celebrity cameos like Brad Pitt, George Clooney was in it, Julia Roberts, Christina Applegate. Yeah, and Reese Witherspoon, I think, as, as Tom well. Tom Selleck in it as well. Oh, yeah, Tom Selleck. Oh, my God. Well, uh, Elliot, Elliot Gould. Gould. We, Elliot we Gould. I, legend, like Hollywood royalty. So they, Holly, Hollywood royalty do not live in New York. Then, of course, Brad Pitt was married to Jennifer Aniston at the Were time. they married at the time? I think they were, yeah. So yeah. she probably just had to, you know, ask him over, oh, over breakfast. It's time to credit the clips we've played throughout this podcast. Killing Eve Series 1 is written by Phoebe Wallabridge, based on the Villanelle novels by Luke Jennings, with writing from George Kay. The opening clip stars Kenny, Sean Delaney, Elena, Kirby Howell-Baptiste, Eve, Sandra Oh, and Carolyn, Fiona Shaw. It's from episode one, entitled Nice Face. The clip with Eve and Nico, Owen McDonnell, in bed is also episode one, and directed by Harry Bradbeer. Bill, David Haig, and Eve chatting about his sexuality is episode three, entitled Don't I Know You, directed by John East. The beginning of that episode is our favourite scene where Eve describes Villanelle in the EFIT room. The clip with Eve and Nico having an argument is episode six, entitled Take Me to the Hotel, directed by Damon Thomas. Eve pushing on the bus stop glass, it comes in at 13 minutes if you want to see what we were talking about, is episode five, entitled I Have a Thing About Bathrooms which was directed by John East. Killing Eve is from Sid Gentle Films, Endeavour Content and BBC America, all available on the BBC iPlayer. And thank you to the BBC for the clips. Glad you could make it. See you next week.